game is number one desirable I do what I want when I want and how I want it Leave you with a one in the air That's how I want I got tons of soul on my true collective ball Famous, also famous, number one desirable I do what I want when I want and how I want it Leave you with a one in the air That's how I roll I got changes, so I don't care about no gold Better, so much better, flipping, incredible Always on the show, so they know that I still got it And I never feel sorry, yeah, at top of the world disabilities for 18 years and had the opportunity to work with a lot of different speech pathologists because we worked with stroke victims, uh, you know, people that were had complex disabilities, but, but also autism, people that had cerebral palsy and the works. And I got to work with a lot of speech pathologists, um, you know, indirectly, not necessarily directly because they weren't they weren't fitting for equipment. But the work that I got to witness them do was so special and so inspiring to me. Um, and then I dated a girl also for about two and a half years who had a son who was autistic. And so going to occupational therapy and working with the speech therapist, it was truly one of the most inspiring things in the world to me. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's inspiring, but the biggest one is like the, the patience um, and the ability to find solutions to the problem. To me, that in itself, you could you could isolate that one thing from speech pathology and incorporate it to all walks of life. And, and it, to me, it's something that's really, really special. So with that, I'm so excited uh, to have our guest, Deborah Henney, on today. And she wrote a book called Gentleness is Not What You Think. 
So I, the title alone has me excited. I have not had the opportunity to read the book, but I'm excited to learn more about Deborah, uh, learn more about her book, and also just what makes her tick, and also what gives her the heart for people to want for them to understand the heart of God. That in itself is inspiring. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one and the only Deborah Henney. What's up, Deborah? How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Thank you for having me on your show today. I am honored. I thank you for your patience. There's been a <laughs> there's been a lot of delays lately, but those are okay because I believe sometimes God puts those in our life for a reason. So the timing of this is great, and I'm honored to have you here. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. So first things first, what are you grateful for today and why? I am so grateful for my family. We've had some talk about unexpected, some very unexpected medical surprises happen over the last few weeks. Uh, one involving our youngest daughter um, and one involving my mom. Um, and God has been so faithful and so good through them, through all of it. Even though the circumstances aren't good, God is good and God has shown his goodness and his faithfulness. And I'm just so glad that we're all still here and we're all still loving Jesus together. Hallelujah. Um, so have you always been a woman of faith? Yes, I was raised in a Christian home. Both of my parents became Christians before they had us kids. So they raised us in the church. I went to Christian school from sixth through 12th grade, um, even hung out at a Christian coffee house. I called myself Christian bubble girl. So I went to a secular university and had a little bit of culture shock <laughs> there, but, um, but it's all good. And so, yeah, I was raised with a Christ focus and bringing everything back to Jesus. I would have driven you crazy growing up. <laughs> I was like the church girl's worst nightmare <laughs> while I was attending church too, by the way. I was one of those people that left church and went and did cocaine and did a lot of bad stuff. So, but when I gave my life to Jesus, it was amazing all that destruction that I caused, how he's been able to use it for something good, something of purpose, because what I was doing before had no purpose other than inflicting trauma on people that tried to love me. So, I mean, it's tough. I So I've always been very uncomfortable around church girls or well church people because well our perception the people that come from a broken dark place our perception of the goody two shoes and i'm not saying that you are but the perception is well they don't know what it's like so how would they ever understand me and so a lot of people stay away from the church for that reason can you address that from your perspective because i'm not saying any of that's true because perceptions are what they are their, their assumptions, their, their stereotypes, there's things that we make up, their lies that some of us tell ourselves to keep us from entering those doors. Can you, can you speak to that? Absolutely. I think, you know, even though people might look at the choices I made in life and say, oh, you're squeaky clean. Um, I would say that there were a lot of internal struggles. You know, I'm a real person with, <laughs> real life situations that happen and you know developmentally there are stages that you go through you know through especially your teen years and even sure. though i didn't make those destructive choices the potential was there the struggles inside were there 
I think um, I was very blessed to have a good support system that supported and coached me through that. So it kind of took me in a little bit of a different direction than it could have. But I struggled as a teen, and I did write that in my book, um, Gentleness is Not What You Think, that I struggled in secret for a long time with eating disorders and severe depression and suicide. I almost committed suicide when I was like 14, 15 years old. I had a plan. I had a letter. I had a day. And I remember the day, just like it was yesterday, I was sitting on the top of the hill. My parents' house sits on a hill in the country. And I had, this was the day. I was going to do it. And God argued me out of it. (laughs) It was an argument that I had with God of, it's my life. And it's mine to take. I don't see any point in continuing this existence because I saw no hope. And I think that at the core of, you know, things like drug addiction, and even though it's not something I I personally went through, I think it's hopelessness. And you're looking for something to make you feel better. Um, and And so... I struggled very much with that, um, and God worked a miracle in my heart over the course of years. It wasn't immediate. It wasn't instantly, you know, he argued me off the precipice that day, but it wasn't all better the next morning when I woke up. It was years of going through inner healing ministry, going through some counseling, you know, taking my thoughts captive, and making those thoughts that aren't obedient to Christ and his truth and capturing them and saying, nope, you are going to obey God. And so it was a process, but it was life-changing. I love that you said that Mm -hmm. because I promise you that there's people watching right now or listening right now, or even reading the transcript that that read that and said, I had no idea because All that you just spoke about is, well, with the misfits and the junkies and the the degenerates, it's what we experience, not the girl raised in church. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's empowering. Yeah, and I think that was part of it, too, was I struggled in secret for so long because I had the perception that people of faith don't have these struggles. So if I had these struggles, it meant I didn't have faith. Um, And I think that was a big lie that I had to realize and recognize. And then I was able to get help Um, because it just because you have those emotions and those feelings and those struggles doesn't mean you lack faith. It just means that you have an area of struggle and you're a human being. Yeah. And I don't know if like, do you believe in generational curses and things like that? I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, that stuff could have been passed down and. Which is a thing. It's so weird that how that is set up, how we have the sins of the father that are passed on to generation and generation. And we are all given this assignment to not just walk our own path that that God has created us for, but along the way in that path, it's healing my father and grandfather and and all their trauma, too. It's such a weird design. But I have found it to be empowering because that sense of responsibility to me gives purpose on top of the other purpose that I have. Mm -hmm. Have you found it when you were going through your struggle 
what was probably the worst thing for you? Um, was it, was it, well, I mean, you probably have already answered it. Was it the simply that you thought because you grew up in this environment, you thought you were alone. You thought you were the only one dealing with it, the only one struggling. So you silenced yourself. Would you say that that was the worst part of that experience? That was probably the worst part because once I started to open up and talk to at first some peers and some friends and realized that I wasn't the only one that had these struggles, it's it, that was a turning point. And I never got back to that uh, level of loneliness and hopelessness again. And I was able to take steps forward. Um, and plus, it, you know, when you start to open up, you get your support system activated. True. True the Trasher Tribe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a big, that is a big thing. Um, because, well, I'm a firm believer that the testimonies that we share should be raw and authentic. And look, everyone's version of raw is different. Mm -hmm. Mine was ugly. And, and I, and we, but God put it on my heart to share it honestly, all of it, even whatever consequences brought onto it, like going back to jail and things like that. Um, but that for me, I found complete freedom in, in, in sharing the truth of my testimony. And, and I, and I think it's empowering, uh, when anyone does it, regardless of what it is, like when you tell the truth about anything. It has this amazing supernatural ability to heal, not just ourselves, but it could be healing other people that are suffering in the same way or people that are holding on to your secrets that for you, like sometimes we can enslave other people by wanting them to keep our secrets. And so I love that you said that and you found that. Let me ask you this. What is your faith? How has your faith impacted your career as a speech pathologist? Like what, what has been the biggest impact? Because I've seen a lot of a different, different approaches. Um, and, and I, 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 there's the school yard, the school way of doing things. Then there's the way that is a little bit more, I think spirit led or it's your gifting and you're able to think outside of the box. I mean, there's all of these different things that therapists of all kinds though. I love it when they, come up with their own ideas and do things like that. But what would you, how would you say that your faith has helped you and impacted your career as a speech pathologist? Well, my career has been <laughs> an interesting journey for sure. Um, it's, you know, started, my, my brother is deaf. He lost his hearing when he was three. Um, so I grew up watching my mom work with my brother on his speech homework. Um, and my mom said, you know, when we, career day came and I wanted to go into nutrition and she said, you know, I always just thought you'd be a great speech therapist. And I said, I will never be a speech therapist. <laughs> Famous last words, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so career day came and it was coming and I couldn't find a dietitian to shadow. So she said, I'm telling you just. Just go down to the local elementary school, shadow one of your brother's old speech therapist. So I said, oh, fine. And you know what? I loved it. I loved it. And I prayed about um, college. My parents wanted me to go to college. And my whole driving force, my whole life was family. All I wanted to do was be a mom and a wife. And 
I said, and I knew that God had ministry in my future. And it's kind of like, sometimes God gives you the end vision, but he doesn't, he shows you like level K, but he doesn't, he doesn't show you A, B, C. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I've got no, a lot of trouble thinking those visions meant today. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he showed me at age seven that he had a place for me in ministry with yeah, speaking wow. and traveling and writing. And, um, and so that's where my head was at, 14, 15, 16, I was like, I don't need college. I'm going into ministry. I'm going to speak. I'm going to be a speaker. And um, so my, my parents were like, well, I think you should go to college. I think that's a good first step out of high school. And I, pray, I said, well, I'm going to pray about it. <laughs> so I prayed about it. And God said, go to college. <laughs> so um, and then I prayed about what should I go into? And he very clearly said speech therapy. So that's what I did. I went to become a speech therapist and I see it very much as a training ground for his next steps for me in my life. I'm still practicing speech therapist. I do love it. I love working with the patients. I think um, as far as my faith, I can't bring up my faith with a resident or a patient, but if they bring it up to me, and they want to talk about faith. I'm allowed to walk through that door. I can't open it, but I can walk through it. So I have had some opportunities over the years to um, to minister and to pray uh, with people. Uh, you know, I, I work in or most of my career. I've worked in skilled nursing, so there's oh, wow. um, a lot that goes with that, with end of life, and you know giving people that comfort and dignity through the end. Um, and so it's been, you know, it's been a very fulfilling, satisfying career. You know, it's such an honor to serve our elders and those who have lived full lives and hmm. served our country, served their families, served their kids. They're my favorite. The war they veterans. Oh my gosh. They are the best. And the women, like the women that, you know, they, they played their roles like from World War Two and World War One, And wow, just some amazing stories you get to hear. All right. Sorry. Yeah. Continue. No, I was going to say, I love hearing their stories. I remember, I mean, I think about faith at work. I remember one time we had a person and they, it was at the point where they called the family to come. Mm. And you know, they were making the phone calls to the family and I just sat there in the room and I, I couldn't stay very long because, you know, as a therapist, you have to keep the billing coming, you know, <laughs> it's a business. So, yeah. but I just wanted to pray for her. So I just kind of silently stood there for a couple of minutes and prayed over her. And then I left the room, went to my, you know, down the hall to my, down my list. And the next day, the person had a complete turnaround sitting up eating by themselves, eating dry by themselves. And they, they were, you know, dementia too going on. And in their dementia, all they, they were wheeling, they started wheeling themselves down the hallway, talking about getting everybody on the bus to go to heaven with Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened after that prayer, but it was, it was interesting. That person lived for a few months 
wheeling themselves down the hallway, never stopped. Sometimes it was a bus, sometimes it was a boat, sometimes it was a plane, but they were trying to get everybody on board with Jesus to heaven. And then they, a couple months later, the person did pass. But um, but it, you never know what happens in the spirit when you pray and the True. impact that you can have. Wow. I, I love those stories. And I, it made me think of, I have a lot of friends because I worked in, I worked in the same field. I mean, on the equipment side, but I've worked with a lot of, you know, doctors and nurses of all varieties. And I can't, I can't think of a single one that is a believer. I mean, nurses, yes. I don't know. Actually, I know most of the nurses are believers. The doctors aren't, but then the nurses aren't allowed to openly pray. <laughs> Which is an interesting dynamic, but then when crap is hitting the fan, they always go find the nurse, to pray, the, the, the praying nurse. The, the doctor will always go find her as the last-ditch effort, or even a man. And I think that's really, really interesting in that space, because you're around ego. And I don't know necessarily know exactly what the doctors that you work with, like if there's as much ego as some of the other ones that I've worked with, especially surgeons. But... When they don't, they kind of have this like, well, I'm God. I'm the one that's going to save. But when that happens, have you ever been in that situation where you're around that doctor that believes that they're the ones that are, they're the, they're the God in this? Have you ever had one come to you and go, hey, can you pray? <laughs> have you ever had that happen? I haven't had that happen yet. Um, in skilled nursing, the doctor, um, they have to see new admits and then they come once a month to see. Uh, so we mostly work with nurses. Um but the, you know, the medical director, you know, we, I worked with him for years, obviously, because I was in the same facility for like 16 years. Um, so we got to know each other and we were friendly and he had a lot of respect for his staff. Um, I had ran into more of that um, attitude of, you know, I'm the doctor and everybody yeah. else is over here. <laughs> um, at the hospital, I have a job where I work two weekends a month at one of our local hospitals in the stroke program. And that's a separate job <laughs> from my main job. And, um, and there it's a little bit more, but again, I, you know, a lot of good doctors too, that have a lot of respect and are very kind and they'll see me cause I work, you know, on an on-call basis in the program. So I'm not there very much. I'm not there every day. You know, I come in, I see my one or two people and then I leave. So I don't spend a lot of time there. And I've had some come out of their way and be like, you know what? I don't think we've met yet you know, what's your name? They can tell by the color that I work in rehab. <laughs> They're like, are you new here? I was like, no, actually I've been here for a while. I just pop in and out. <laughs> you know? I guess we just didn't meet each other in the hallway yet. But I think I've just, maybe I've just been very blessed and I've worked with some really good, good team members in general. Yeah. I, I mean, I was just curious about that situation, but that now that you mention it, it makes sense. And it just, you but know, I there's probably, so much warfare. Go ahead. There is. I was going to say, I probably should say that the hospital I work at is a, is or was a Catholic hospital. So it was very faith-based, spiritual. Um, they even have buttons if people want to wear them. Like, I'm a person of prayer so that they know who, if That's somebody cool. wants prayer, they can go find a staff member on the floor who will pray with them. So maybe that kind of contributed to some of the difference in attitudes and that's nice. I like hearing that. I mean, look, doc, doctors can 
do the work of God. <laughs> they're not God, though, uh, at least in my experience. I um, I want to go back to, I'm kind of fixated on this, you know, growing up, you know, as a Christian and, and going through the things that you went through. I, I, I'm so grateful that you shared that because, again, like I even look at my mom and my mom is the patron saint of awesome. My grandmother was an amazing influence. My mom is awesome. Um, I mean, she was always sending me Charles Stanley devotionals in the middle of me doing meth or coke. And, you know, I didn't want to hear them at the time, but she was I didn't want to see it, read it, any of that at the time. But she was planting the seeds. But admittedly, like, I'm sure it's very uncomfortable for her sometimes to hear the, some of the things that I talk about of what I went through and the life I had before Jesus. And, and I think of other people that I know that have grew up in the church and have had more of the appearance of that leave it to beaver style life. Mm -hmm. I just really dated myself. Uh, <laughs> leave it to beaver. Wow. What year is this? Anyway. I love it to beaver. <laughs> See, I watched it every day. Uh, <laughs> so did I. <laughs> it seems like yesterday, but no, it was 30 years ago. Actually, longer than that. Anyway, before I lose track of what I was saying, I, it makes me think, like, I want to fix this problem. And, and I'm going to say that it's a problem because there's people like me, and I'm going to make this about me for a second, but the, the, and I'm, when I say me, I'm talking about the misfits, the junkies, the former prostitutes, the former porn stars, the killers, the gangbangers, all those people on the surface the church, and I'm going to stereotype it. Mm -hmm. On the surface, the church says, we welcome all. We're a hospital for sinners. And they'll do anything they can to get you in the door. And then they get you in the door, and, and you're there, and then you commit, you do, the, you do the things, and like you join their program, and you seem to be welcome as long as you're playing your part. But when you get in the opportunity and you share your testimony or people get to know you a little bit more and you start to open up and you're authentic about your scars and your sin and your struggle, current struggles, that's when a lot of people get their back turned on them. I know I'm not the only one. I could share a million different experiences, not a million. I could share 25 different experiences probably with you, if not a little bit more. And and I have a hard time with this because I love the Lord. I, I, I have no life. I have no breath without the Lord and without what he has, how he's radically changed my life. I mean, going from having DID, disassociative identity disorder, where it's basically I'm looked at as if I'm a demon possessed individual and I'm not anymore, but I was, but the rent, the, 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 the the struggle and the after effect of DID, like it takes a while to heal. So I'm saying all this because I'm not the only one. Part of the work we do is for this reason. But I want to fix this problem. In other words, the church only welcomes you. And I'm again, I'm stereotyping. The church seems to only welcome you when you're willing to go along with their system. And every church has a system. Every church has a way of doing things. And like they, part of the training and part of the membership program is to get you on board. So you all fit into this little role. 
that's not very welcoming for people like myself and other people that are like me. And mind you, yes, I'm in a suit, but that doesn't mean anything. There's a lot of people that look like me and there's other people that don't look like me that go through this struggle where they just don't feel safe in the church. That's the point. How do we change this culture where we start to truly allow everybody and and we create the space for people to be honest about their sin? Because what I'm getting at is this. When I was in the shadow world, half of the people I saw there that I was doing drugs and having sex with and everything else, well, a lot of them were preachers or people in the church. Some of the people that took advantage of me from the church. And so like, I know that there's secret struggle, like you talked about. There's pastors that are struggling with their sexuality, but yet they're telling people they're going to hell if they sleep with somebody of the same sex. We have all that going on, but I think the root of it is we are afraid to be honest in the one place that we should be honest, and that's the house of God. How do we fix this problem where we allow truth in the church? Because we're not allowing it there. Because the people like me, every church they go to, that I won't conform to their way, but I want to go to church there and be spiritually fed. And I want to give my tithes and offerings and I want to serve, but I don't fit into your box and I'm not welcome. How do we change this? How do we change church culture to allow for misfits instead of it being like a country club where you got to fit into this to, to be welcome here? That was a very long drawn out thing. I hope that made sense. Oh, it makes total sense. Okay. Thank you. Cause I felt like I was just talking out of my ears. <clears throat> no, it makes total sense. And I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I think that there needs to be a culture shift um, from, and this is just my little lowly, humble opinion, <laughs> from programs to family. And I, I recently released a prophetic word um, about that, how you know, it was so strong in my heart that God said, I have called you family. And with that, it was a sense of we in the church have created a system. It's very smooth. It appears well oiled, but it doesn't have the Holy Spirit oil on it. Um, and it has all these appearances of operating in an efficient way, but it lacks the true heart of God. And the true heart of God is nothing but love. He wants, he has so much love that he'll do anything to reach us. Each one of us. He won't, he doesn't want to leave anybody out and leave anybody behind. And he'll do anything for people to have freedom. And he did, he did it already and i think part of the problem is each individual has to have that revelation of god's love in their own heart i think in part <clears throat> and this was kind of a revelation that i had through my journey that we have to love our neighbor as ourself which means we can't change that um, we have to see each person as a treasure of God. 
including ourselves. Because if we don't value ourselves and love ourselves as who God made us to be, I can't really truly also value you. Um, and I think there's a culture of love that we're lacking and a revelation of God's love that we're lacking. And I mean, it can start up at the top. And I think there has been a little bit of movement in that direction. I do see a little bit more movement at some top, top figures with being more authentic and being more honest. Um, but there needs to be more of it because otherwise everybody else looks at them and says, well, that's what I need to look like too, or else I'm not qualified. That just give me a hand you a microphone so you can drop it. That was <laughs> awesome. It was so awesome. I, um, and you're right. I do think some people are starting to, well, I think that, I think people know the time's short and all that's hidden will be revealed. And I believe that people can start to feel the heat of some of their secrets and they're starting to go, oh crap, I better tell it. Um, I think that's just the, that's the time that we're in. Because um, yeah. everything, I mean, there's been a lot of truth that's been unveiled recently. And I believe that there's going to be more and more and more of that coming. So I hope that changes because here's the problem. <clears throat> like we're all sinners, like every single one of us. And some of us are, are worse than others. But the most disheartening thing I can think of, and I work having HIV I'm very and and battled my sexuality for most of my life. I'm like I'm a friend to the LGBT community, not the movement, not the agenda, not the well-financed thing that's trying to. Anyway, I won't go there. But I do support the community because I know what that's like. I know what I, I know what my life was like before. I know what the Bible says, and I know what it's like to feel that God doesn't love me even after giving my life to Him. I know what it's like. I know all those feelings. I know those feelings to just go, you know, the, the guilt and the shame and beating myself up if God doesn't love me because it says in this Bible that I'm not blah, 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 blah. And all of that may be true. But none of that is leading people to Jesus. And I think that one of the biggest problems that the church, and I blame, I actually blame the Catholic Church for this. Um, because they've, of the, you know, I'm trying to avoid going down wormholes here. That'll take a whole other hour. But I blame them. One, because of how they've controlled the Bible, because every country and every region has a different version of the Bible, with some of them with 86 books, some with 66. Some with, I mean, there's a lot of differences. But where I blame the, um, I think what's happened is that the church has made it a relationship with the book instead of God. And I think that, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong about this. I, I'm not a Bible scholar. But the other thing that you can, I, I feel pretty strongly about is that some of us treat God as if he is only external. And the proof of that is how we treat ourselves. If our body is a temple, and I've read verse after verse that says Christ is inside of me. I've accepted the Holy Spirit. If Christ is inside of me, if God's DNA is inside of me, 
well, I'm a son of God. I'm not Jesus. I'm not a God. I'm not, I'm not saying any of that. But I am saying that if Christ is in me, well, I think that the relationship with myself should be better. I should make more loving choices for myself. I should treat my body better. And thus, recognizing that, I should go, well, wait a second. If this is for me, then that's the same for you. So when you say do unto others as I do unto you, well, I should love you and treat you with kindness and respect and love and not ridicule you and not lash out at you and not hurt you and not physically hurt you and all those things. If, well, like me, God is inside you. And I, so what I'm getting at is the relationship has become with a book solely focused book and people fight on social media. I got off social media this week. Best thing I ever did. I'm retired from social media. And the best thing about it is I don't have to see people fighting over their interpretations over scripture. That's not leading to people, Jesus, either. It's being the love of Jesus and walking that out and being what love is, kind, patient, not judgmental, all those things. That is what's going to make people go, that person's different. I want what they have. Would you agree or disagree? I 100% agree. I, um, I recently heard a quote, and I love it, that the world doesn't read the Bibles. They read Christians. And so we need to become that living example of God's love. And I can't tell you how many times at work or in the community, especially with the medical emergency we just had with our daughter, you know, in the ER and the hospital, going to specialists and all that. And every single one of them was like, how are you so calm? How are you doing this? Both of you, not just me, mom, but the child also, she's only nine. And, um, and it was Jesus. I said, that's not me. That's Jesus in me, you know, cause every waiting room, we held hands and we prayed, we declared the goodness of God. We, we brought our focus back to Jesus and he carried us through that. And I, same thing at work. They're like, why are you now? I have to wear a mask all the time. So they can't see the smile, but they can see the eyes and, Your eyes go alive. <laughs> yeah. and they're like, you're different. What's mm -hmm. different. I've gotten that so much. Um, and I'm like, it's Jesus. It, it's Jesus. That's Jesus in me. Um, it should be coming out of our lives. And I do believe in the power of the word of God. But I think part of the problem is if we approach the Bible with our lens, which includes our flesh. True. It can get twisted. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it can get twisted. And then we get so um, wrapped up in our own perspectives that we can't see somebody else's. Um, but if we instead approach the Bible, not through my filter, but through the filter of God's love, yeah, it, can, it changes the way that we read scripture and some of the stories and some of the verses, especially as it addresses relationships, it totally transforms and it doesn't become about, you know, well, this is this doctrine or this is this. It becomes more about how does this show me God's heart of love and how can I apply this to show God's love to other people? Right. So I think there's a approach shift that needs to happen with the Bible. I agree with that. And I, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the Bible. It's just oh, no, no. at all, because I can't, I, if I don't read it, 
my whole everything changes. I can't explain it. And then look, and I believe the Holy Spirit can make a James Patterson novel become anointed works. Because um, the Holy Spirit's awesome like that. But there is something special about the Bible, especially when those words just like come off the page, which is like still the strangest thing ever to me. Like I've never had that happen with anything but the Bible. So there's something there. Um, but I also do think some people put too much of the relationship in the book and not in the, with, with, with their heart. <laughs> like it's not applied to their heart. Um, and look, and I'm not like, I, it's not like I follow it to the letter of the law. I mean, I try, you know, obedience to me is, is the secret sauce. <laughs> Being obedient is the secret to everything because it's not a rule book. It's freedom. Obedience sounds like prison to me. And it did all through going to church and growing up and everything else. And that's what I ran away from. And I'm like, well, screw that noise. I don't want that life. I want to do what I want to do. Mm -hmm. But it was amazing how after doing all that, I was like, okay, God, I've done everything. And I failed miserably. Like, my life is a wreck now. Uh, like, here it is. I'm in jail the sixth time. I'm facing five years. My whole life. Wow. I've just wasted everything, God. Wasted everything. Okay, now I want to do it your way. This is not exactly how the conversation went because I was yelling and cursing at him and everything else. But eventually he calmed me down and started speaking truth to me. And it was a very, very powerful moment. But I was very, very blessed to get trained, um, not necessarily ministry training, but I did get to do the kind of minister stuff. I got to do the Saturday night service which in my own little special way, which is not preaching. Anyway, I got to do that. But I got to learn from him and be around a lot of other older godly men that have been through some things. And, uh, and the thing that I was so blessed to learn from, because 98% of the congregation of this church was either an ex-con or a convict. Like, <laughs> it was a special church, and I love this church. But I got obedience beaten into my head when I was there. And I'm so thankful for that because what I found was, yeah, obedience on the surface sounds like a really miserable time. It seems like all the fun's going to be taken away and all my, my life, I'm not going to be able to do what I want. Actually, I found that obedience leads you to a much wilder life than you can ever imagine. And there's not a drug on this planet that can give you a, a, a wilder experience in the Holy Spirit. That has been my experience with obedience. I don't know how that sounds on your ears, but oh, no. for me, that's what it's been. We were joking the other, uh, it was a couple months ago, I'm on a team of prophets in my church, and we were all bringing our, when we meet, we start by all bringing what we're getting from the God, whether it's a vision, a dream, a word, you know, whatever it is, and then we bring it all together and see what is God speaking to our church, and what is the direction that he's taking us. And as we're bringing all of our stuff, we're looking at each other like, this is wild, like wild. And then somebody said, yeah, who needs television when you have God vision? Like, but it's so true. Like when you start obeying God, he takes you to places that you could never even begin to imagine, whether it's in, in the spirit and it's a spiritual experience or whether it's in the natural through steps of active obedience that he makes you take. Um, and it's a wild ride. It is insane. And yeah, and I would definitely have to agree. It's 
it's so much freedom, so much freedom because God designed each one of us. He knows what makes us tick better than we do. So when we obey him, even if like for me, uh, I always had a huge struggle with fear, um, even if it's scary, um, ultimately somehow it is exactly the right fit for me even if I would have never chosen it on my own. The Holy Spirit has me doing things that make zero sense on the surface and still make no sense. This has been the craziest six plus years of my life. And, and I, and I think he designs it that way. So he'll get all the credit (laughs) because like, the things that he's called calls us to do, it really seems like, well, one, I'm not qualified <laughs> for sure. Not qualified. I'm out of my league. Uh, this is insane. It's not going to make sense. Getting people to believe in this vision is going to be even crazier. Yeah. That's my life. But you know what? I I mean, I like kind of, I've always enjoyed being a rebel, but I being a rebel for God is like way more fun and gratifying. Um, so, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it and it's amazing because his promises are true. And that's the other thing too. And I think about knowing the spiritual side of this better than I actually, the real world side of it. Cause I really haven't been present on this planet, like cognitively for very long because I was drugged out of my mind, angry. I was all the things. So I wasn't really present. And then having DID was, that's a whole other, you know, added equation to this. But we're just switching personalities. And, and, and even though God has healed me where I don't switch like I used to, it's still there. Um, but I, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, the point was that I just, I, this, this, this journey that he sends us on is, is truly, truly a faith walk. And it's more spiritual than it is what we see in the natural. And when people say walk by faith and not by sight. There's like there's levels to that too, because these the 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 enemy that we are fighting and the enemy that I think is a, we're about to have unveiled before all of us and you know I mean you can read just paying attention to what's going on in the world and there's a lot of different paths to go down with that statement but essentially I think that we are due for like we are in the end days and and I don't think that that can be doubted now what that really looks like for people and what that will look like i don't really know but it feels like there's a massive shift happening right now in the world because the veil of evil is so obvious like the evil that's in front of us the things that are happening what's going through the media all of that it's so blatant that i have no choice but to believe that well there's getting ready to be some kind of disruption. Something's about to happen. There's going to be a shift and things are going to get really, really crazy, especially in the spiritual world, because things are nutty there. Where are we go- like, what's next? What do we do? And I think as believers right now, spiritual armor is the absolute most important. I mean, there's a lot of things that are important with our walk, but making sure that we do that every single day. Because it could be at any moment that the spiritual war that has happened behind the scenes is about to be right in front of all of our eyes to be seen. So I don't know what that, what the point of all of that was. I think the head cold's getting to me. But 
I I do mean to say that um, we have a spiritual battle getting ready. I just completely lost it. I I, I would be lying. I'm trying to like save this of, for myself no, okay, from being like a complete idiot, but I just did it anyway. There is a spiritual battle happening, and that we got to get ready for. So my question is, <laughs> boy, I'm not doing good today. Um, my question is, how do we get the the flock properly prepared, especially those that don't really know the spiritual side of all of this? Because there's some believers that are, you're religious Christians, and I'm not making fun of it, but they don't really believe in the spiritual realm and things like that. They don't believe, believe in demons and spiritual, uh, you know, takeovers and all that. So how do we prepare the flock for a spiritual battle that most people don't even believe will happen. Well, um, well, there are always spiritual battles, but I definitely agree with you with the shift. Um, that was something that was basically being shouted into my spirit a couple months ago. Very, I mean, so loud. It was like shift. Um, so I'm interested to see how that winds up getting played out. Um, and there's always an individual level with that and then a corporate level with that. Um, so that is to be seen. Um, you talked about the spiritual battle. And you also talked about the promises. I want to kind of go to that quickly first. So remember in the beginning, we talked about generational curses. But there's yeah. also a promise of that the blessing is for a thousand generations. And um, like a curse is only three, but the blessing really? is a thousand. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we want to heal these wounds of our past. Yeah, so we need to heal. And when I, if God ever shows me that there's something in the, in the family line, I start breaking and I go back the three and then I actually walk my daughters through it to make sure we're all covered there. <laughs> um, but the blessing is for a thousand. And somebody in my church pointed out, we haven't even had a thousand generations yet. If you go from Adam forward in the Bible. Um, so that's really cool. Um, but uh, back to the spiritual battle, I had a interesting experience probably about a year ago. Um, I got, I get a lot of dreams. I'm a dreamer. Uh, God speaks to me a lot through dreams and the prophetic. And he took me to this place and I recognized the place in my dream. It was a place I went to very often in my dreams as a child. And I remember thinking it was my favorite dream to have. And it was almost like this other realm. It was almost kind of like outer space, but not quite. Um, and as a child, when I would have this dream, and I just thought it was an interesting, repetitive dream that I had. And it, it just never, I never really realized what was happening but god was taking me into a spiritual dimension in a dream and recently last well last year he took me there again and that's when it the dots connected on my head that this repetitive dream i had as a child wasn't just a dream it was something spiritual that god was showing me and taking me into and when he brought me there last year it was not quiet it was so active. There were angels everywhere, and there was a lot of battle going on. 
it mm -hmm. was very fierce. Um, and when I woke up, I was like tired. <laughs> I mean, I was like spiritually, like felt like I had gone through a war and yeah. it was like, that was when the dots connected that this place that God took me so often as a girl, that was a spiritual dimension, spiritual realm mm -hmm. somewhere. Um, it's, it's not quiet now. It is they're they're warring they're warring out there how is that different than um not time travel when you you uh in your sleep astral project how is that different than astral projection i'm not very familiar with astral projection um this is the thing hold on before you go into that there's a lot of these little things because even prof the prof the gift of the prophetic I don't like to say this. I don't because I don't go around. I cash at profits. I, if you're a cash at profit, I'm sorry. But I when I see that, that's another reason I'm off social media. Because when I see the cash app in a profits uh, bio, I want to vomit all over myself because I recognize how prophecy can be weaponized. Mm -hmm. I can do it like a party trick. Like mm -hmm. I, my gifting, I've very. It's not, I didn't do it. God gave it to me. But here's what I know about my gift. My gift is devastating or it's life-changing. And I used to use it to hurt people. Now I can use it for good. But those gifts, you're, we're born with them and we're given a choice. What I believe, what we feed ourselves to what, how the gift develops. Hitler was gifted. You don't do what Hitler did without, well, a bunch of money and having gifts and not what he did was wrong. I'm not saying it was right, but he's gifted. God gives us all gifts. Mm -hmm. So what I'm asking is this, what's the difference between the prophetic and psychic? Because it's really kind of the same thing when you get a word for somebody or a vision and you can tell them what's going to happen. Because mm -hmm. I mean, again, when I was all methed out and coked out and on ecstasy and mushrooms or drinking, or even when I was sober, which was rare back then, I could get downloads like you wouldn't believe. I could I could tell you your whole life story. Like if God, God showed, God would just, I believe it was God. I don't know why he was showing me the things that I was seeing when I was acting out my addiction. So what I'm saying is the language of these giftings and these things that we do in the church often are very similar to what new age people talk about. They, they shift the language, but the gifting or the special thing they're speaking about is really doing the same thing. So I'm just curious. I'm only asking this is, is if you know the difference, what's the difference between a psychic and a prophet? Because they seem very similar. So I would say that they are similar to us <laughs> because Satan will oh. always fit always counterfeit whatever god does satan will counterfeit um <clears throat> in, in the effort of creating bondage and deception um but god his heart is freedom and his heart is love and that is really when i talk about connecting hearts to god's heart that's how i see the gift of prophecy i don't have cash apps um i don't even do donations i i just <laughs> You know, I, I, I get what you're saying. I get a little turned off by that, too, because people can just, like, make things up, right? 
and then say, oh, you can give me money because I said this. Um, but I, I really believe in the gift of prophecy is for exhortation, encouragement, and comfort. And that word comfort is that feeling of tender building up, but to get you moving. So yeah. the whole purpose of prophecy is to get people moving toward God and toward God's destiny and vision for their lives and connect them to the heart of God. So it's really a gift of love. It's a mm. gift of connection for the prophet to hear God's heart and feel God's heart and his vision for somebody else or for a church or for a body of believers. Um, it's a gift for that person to get connected to God in that special way. And yeah. it's a gift for everybody else who witnesses that message of love and blessing. Um, but I do think that sometimes the gift of prophecy can be abused. Um, again, it goes through imperfect people who, you know, sometimes there needs to be some training and mentorship there because oh, God will sometimes download things that are, you know, um, like sin issues in somebody's heart. And that is not to beat that person up. That is to bring an exhortation and a comfort to get them moving in the right direction and to reset them and to reaffirm God's love for them. And that, you know what, God sees this and he wants you to be free. He's putting his finger on that spot in your life because he sees how destructive it is to you and the people around you. So it's not to beat you up. Um, I heard uh, another prophet from my church say and I think her advice was really good that somebody came to her to vet a word and said you know <clears throat> but it was a sin issue in somebody else's life and they wanted to use it like a bat right God told me this about you and she said you know what when it breaks your heart that you have to share that with them that's when you can share it because prophecy is not supposed to be a bat Wow. See, that's what spiritual maturity does for you, is that you can handle questions. My insane questions that I just keep throwing at you, it's like I'm treating you as my therapist today, and I'm just vomiting all this stuff. By the way, I've forgiven a lot of it, and my attitude towards it was like, well, instead of complaining, we're just going to start as what we believe is a solution. But I, I love, I mean, there's so much grace that you sh you've shown like in answering these questions that probably seem juvenile, but I promise you, I, I know my wife upstairs is the same way. Like she's has these questions and there's other people that have these questions and there's people that have just ran away from the church and, and, and Christianity and the Bible and everything else because, well, they've been hurt by somebody that's representing that not understanding that we're all human. And I don't know where it started, where it, it's like, okay, we put the pastor on a pedestal because he's on stage. I don't know if that's just the psycho psychological thing or if it was set up that way. I don't know those answers. But the fact is that, you know, like something, something's got to change because with what we're talking about, with where we're going, I believe, with, with what is about to be unveiled for people to see and to learn and I'm seeing some of the reports from Europe and some of the news that's coming out. It's like, okay, I don't know how long it's going to take for American media to go and start picking up on some of this stuff and tell people. But, I mean, things are really the, – the crap is going to hit the fan. And 
And there's going to be a lot of broken people and a lot of lost people. And so we're just going to be needed. And it's not going to be a time to argue over your interpretation of a verse when there's 90 different versions of that Bible that say something different. And you can fight about that and you can waste time about that, but none of it's going to lead people to Jesus. In fact, if anything, it's going to be like, it's going to be a turnoff. Like, they can't, they can't even agree. Why am I going to choose to serve a God where these two people can't even agree? Right. But with all the chaos and everything else that's going to come, we as believers have to put all that stuff aside and just be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think that if we just had this attitude every day anyway, make things better. You go somewhere, make it better. Leave it better than when you arrived. When you have an, an, an interaction with person, leave that conversation better than it was when you showed up. If we just did that, to me, that sounds Christ-like. Mm -hmm. I bet we could, I bet a lot of people would get healed and a lot of people would get saved and a lot of people would get raised up into what God created them to be and we could truly bring heaven to earth. I believe that that's the opportunity that we're going to get. We're going to have to see some hell for it, but I believe that we're going to get that opportunity. And as a believer, well, it's kind of why I signed up in the first place. Like once I realized that it was like, oh, okay, there's a dark world and there's the world of Jesus. I want that. <laughs> okay, I want that more now. But part of me signing up is I wanted to go to war because I knew I was built for something different. I, didn't, I knew I went through all that stuff for a reason, and now God gets to use it. So I love messages like this because I feel like it's a cult of two different personalities, for lack of better term. Mm -hmm. But it is. I found Jesus through the gutter. You were born into Jesus, so to speak. But these conversations are important because what you've proved today, and I know all Christians go through trouble and and frankly, just because I could, when I gave my life to Jesus, my life became more difficult. It became more joyful, but it is more difficult. It's way more difficult. Um, but I'm built for that. And I was created for that. And I have the tools to be able to deal with that because we are, well, we, we are in a battle, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm excited for people like you that seem to have a real grasp on the love of Jesus. And in, in your, I don't know if it's in your bio or what you say, uh, you connect the hearts, you want to connect people, you want to connect people's hearts to the heart of God and all that that is. Can you share a little bit about why that matters so much to you? Because, you know, typically, again, the people that have gone through some, like lived in hell most of their life, they know that they have nothing without Jesus. With Christians that had a little bit different life, I'm not saying that you didn't struggle, but you didn't have all the surface level evil and you weren't prostituting yourself and you weren't shooting heroin. You weren't doing any of that stuff. But yet to have such a heart for people needing to know the heart of Jesus, that comes from a very personal place. So if you don't mind, please share why you have that heart. Well... I think it kind of was a progressive journey of, I grew up in a very academic family um, and always did well in school and pursued knowledge. 
And I just wanted to learn as much as I could. I wanted to know as much as I could and understand as much as I could. And in my own personal freedom journey, that did nothing. It really did nothing. What changed me was getting a revelation. It wasn't head knowledge. It wasn't memorization. It was revelation of God's heart toward me. That's what healed me. That's what changed me. And I love sharing knowledge. I mean, I, I put my heart into my books, but, um, but it kind of is more, again, when you're reading a book with information, it's still more information sharing. And there's benefit to that. I fully believe in that. But there's a difference when you're connected to the heart of God. And that's a big part of the call and the gift that God has given me and the assignment that he has on my life is to be that, that, that juncture to be almost like a, a portal for opening mm-hmm. heaven to earth and connecting the two. So people can get a taste of heaven and <coughs> find that freedom, find that healing, find that deliverance, because I can talk at you and I can give you tools and there's a hundred percent a place for that. I believe in using tools um, backed by science and research and all that stuff, but there's nothing like being immersed in the glory of God and connected to his heart where he downloads revelation. Never be and that only comes being still and knowing he's God and being present with him. Like that's, I, I've never had an experience or an encounter with God when I was on my phone. Right. Which, which is ironically, sitting still for me is like the hardest thing ever to do. I mean, I stand up when I broadcast. I have a camera that follows me around just so I can wiggle. <laughs> like, you know, so see, being still with God, he's found a way in my studio to trick me where I have all these little spots that I am comfortable being just sitting. So he's got me figured out pretty well. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's tricked me into being still, which is kind of a miracle in itself. I can, listen, I can talk to you for hours. I And and we did. We talked for an hour. This was supposed to be 30 minutes. And it just... Maybe because my head cold and I can't think straight. I just kept talking. But I, you're just super easy to talk to. I mean, like you talk about the love of Jesus. Well, I mean, this is what it is. It's just like a welcome opening presence with a heart of love. And you're like, hey, I'm just here to hang out and talk. I love it. Um, so plug your books. Tell everybody where they can support you, where they can you know, buy your books, uh, follow you, hire you as a coach, whatever plug everything you want to plug. Okay. Um, I have a website. It's just my name, deborahhenny.com. And that's the, uh, the biblical way of spelling it. D-B-O-R-A-H-H-E-N-N-E.com. Um, there you can find all kinds of information about me, where my upcoming speaking events are, when they are. I have my book on there. I have one published uh, gentleness. It's not what you think you can get it on Amazon. You can get it at a local bookstore. Um, I have a few more coming down the pike that I'm still working on reading and going to be working with my publisher for that as well. Um, but yeah, but that's where you can find me. I'm on Facebook at Deborah Henny author as well. Awesome. I am so grateful for you. 
I, I, I want to check out your book. I mean, I, actually all of them, I don't know what the other ones are about, but the gentleness is not what you think. I'm trying to teach myself to be a gentle giant right now. It's not the easiest task, but God's working on me. So, well, you'll probably really like the one I'm editing right now. It's called War in Peace. <laughs> War in Peace? War in Peace. Yeah. 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 That's like my brain oh, I every really day. I like that one. <laughs> that that is my brain. Of uh, warrior uh, analogies with the armor of God and military uniforms and boot camp and mission operatives and peace and things like that. So, really? Uh, this sounds like a great animated series, too. <laughs> huh. I want to read that one. That sounds amazing. I'm, yeah, I've mentally prepared for this as if I was Joshua. I mean, that is my name. Mm -hmm. But, like, I've felt since I was a little kid, you talk about seven years old. Like, that's when I got my first vision. It was seven. And it happened right after being molested. All of my visions early on came from trauma, and then eventually they just started coming from, you know, like randomly all the time. Um, but, you know, you I think you were talking about at seven years old for you, <clears throat> it's when things really started moving with God. And that's, I mean, I didn't know it then, but that was God showing, showing he was with me in the same visions, the same dreams, the same movie that he downloaded was doing that throughout my entire life. And then when the day I gave my life to the Lord, when I was in jail, it was my second day in isolation. And um, I thought I was going to be there for five years. And I just like had gotten to this place of like, oh, my gosh, I've wasted everything. Um, and uh, wow, just God is uh, I, I, my brain just skipped out again. Anyway, my point is that God has been absolutely amazing and he has radically changed my life. Um, I'm so grateful for stories like yours because they matter. They matter for people like me that look at goody two, two Christians and just want to go, you don't even know what hell is like. And yet you do because you wanted to kill yourself. And, and I know those feelings too, and they're not fun. And it is a demon. And, um, and I, I, I have to say thank you for this interview because, again, you helped me kind of change my perception in the way that I see. Because my heart is for the misfits, but that's incomplete. And, and it's, it's, um, it's selfish of me. And I realize that I'm selfish by that because I've kind of snobbed myself against the church because of how I've been treated there. I just said, well, if you're not going to welcome me there, I'm not going to come up. I'm not going to show up. And it sucks because I miss my church, but I've had a bad attitude that you help me see about the church and, um, or about the goody two, two, goody two shoe Christians. And, uh, you've, you've helped me change my heart with that today. So thank you very much. It's an honor. All right. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here. Sorry that this went over and please excuse my brain farts mid-interview. No worries. Thank you. <laughs> but so I enjoyed much. I enjoyed every minute of it that I remember. So thank you so much for being here. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, 
Deborah Henny, everybody. I, I, I that is so embarrassing when that happens. So I blame all of the drug use and I blame a head cold combined into one. Anyway, we don't make excuses. I hope you found it. I, I, I hope that you got as much from this as I did. I love it when my my guest changed my heart about something because I'm a fighter and I'm feisty and I got a bug up my butt wanting to fight for misfits and everybody else that's been rejected from the church or not made to feel welcome. I, I get to keep checking my attitude because I got an attitude. So I appreciate Deborah for that. Gosh, I hope we talked about our books enough. We just talked. I loved it. I hope you did too. Thank you for being here. God bless you. And go buy Deborah's book, especially the gentleness is not what you think. I need some of that to rub off on me. Anyway, take care. God bless. See you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but